Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, I want to drive the Zamboni. Yeah, I want to drive the Zamboni. Yes, I do. All right, I want to welcome everyone to episode two of the Seattle Sin Bin podcast. And we're expecting King Five, King Five reporter Chris Daniels to call in at any second now. And when he does, we will go straight to him. Um, but in the meantime, um, I think we have another guy on hold right now, and his name is Otto Rogers. And uh, this is Paul Rogers speaking to you, by the way. And Otto, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. We're just uh, we're waiting for Chris to call in here, and um, while we're waiting, um, you know, I, I think this is actually the first time we've actually spoken. We've exchanged tweets quite a few times, and uh, we've we've been on Sonics Rising together quite a bit over the last couple of years. But it's good to finally talk to you in person. Yeah, you know what? It's really great to talk to you too, and. Um... This is the this is my first opportunity to like talk to you and talk to uh, John and, and and the rest of the community. So um, over over a podcast. So I'm really I'm really interested and really excited and really hopeful of of, of this podcast and and the different kinds of things we can do with this podcast. So um, you know yeah I'm really excited to be here and um, hopefully I can contribute something. <laughs> well, you're already contributing something, Otto. And as a matter of fact, one thing you've contributed already would be the name of the podcast. We we chose to call this the Sin Bin, and that was actually your idea. So if you would, could you just kind of explain to our listeners what the Sin Bin means? So so the Sin Bin is basically what people people in hockey or people, hockey fans they call the penalty box. Uh, they call the penalty box the Sin Bin because you know you're creating a sin, you're creating a penalty, you're doing something wrong on the ice. So, you know, when you're coming off the ice, you're going to the sin bin, a.k.a. the penalty box. So, you know, most people who, who play hockey, who, who watch hockey, kind of know some of those terms and lingo. Um, and I thought that would be a, a perfect name for a podcast. So, there we are, Seattle Sin Bin. Yeah, and I, I really like it, too. I think it's got, I think it's catchy. Uh, I think it's a really good name, and I think it's going to stick. Um, so, Otto, as you know from our private conversations and from my writings at SonicsRising.com, I'm a I'm a fairly new fan to the game of hockey, and my sense is that you're kind of a lifetime fan. So, can you kind of tell me about your history with the game of hockey? I think I really um, I, I wouldn't say I was, I'm a lifetime fan. I, I think. I've been a fan probably since the mid to late nineties. Um when when I was looking for another sport to kinda of follow during the winter time besides the Sonics and the the, the US Olympics uh hockey team was really getting uh getting rolling and they, there are a lot of good players on that team and I was like, This is a really exciting sport. This is really fun. Um so I started watching and back in those days Detroit was a really popular team. They were always on TV, so that, you know, obviously, with no, with no attachment to the sport, no, no team in our area, uh, NHL team in, in our area, I kind of, I, I, I really, really liked the, the, the Red Wings 
style of play, uh, the puck control style of play, and how, how they were always moving the puck and always moving. It wasn't like a really grinding type of game. It was a passing, uh, puck control, kind of up-tempo game. So from there, you know, I just kind of followed Detroit as a casual. As, as much as you could follow a team living in Seattle when they're, you know, when they're obviously in Detroit. So I would watch them whenever they would play. And then around, you know, uh, they won a couple of Stanley Cups, and that was really exciting. And then a buddy of mine, he came, um, you know, I followed him casually. And then a buddy of mine, he moved to Seattle. He was actually from Michigan. And so I didn't really have a stake in the game. So he was really into Detroit. So, you know, that just kind of helped me kind of really supplant, you know, um, the Red Wings as kind of my team of choice. And so I've kind of been okay, I was going to ask you that. What what team is your favorite? Yeah. It, it's the Red Wings. It's the it's the Red Wings. Yeah, it's you know I don't have it's not a die it's not a you know a total hundred percent where like I would like die for them kind of passion like if it would be like the Seahawks or like a local team like Sonics, but you know when I watch it's it, when I it, if there is a team that I follow it it would definitely be the Red Wings and and there's been a lot of you know a lot of struggles a lot of ups and downs uh, but they've been fairly successful over the last fifteen last fifteen twenty years during the Steve Eiserman era and now kind of with Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Datsuk. Um, so those, that's the team I kind of, you know, I, I kind of watch, even okay. though I think I could watch more. It just, it's a, it's a time thing. I don't have that much time and, and it's, it's hard to get games up here. So. Okay. So, I tell you I, what, Otto, we'll, we'll talk more about um, this part of the conversation towards the end of the podcast, because I believe, I think we're having a technical difficulty on that line. Hey, Paul, I can hear you now. Oh, you can hear me. Sorry I about that. I can hear you now. I'm sorry, Chris. Are you there now? Can you hear me now? Paul, I can hear you right now. Okay. Uh, I muted the wrong microphone. Doggone it. All right. So what what I was asking uh, in silence to everyone else was, uh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. Just juggling a lot of balls as usual, as I like to say. How are you? I'm doing really good. Um, uh, We're just, I'm just following with bated breath uh, every development that comes along with the NHL or the NBA to Seattle. And, uh, you know, as most people in Seattle know, you have been uh, one of the primary, if not the primary reporters that deal deal with this issue. And I want to talk a lot about the arena situation and the NHL and the NBA. Uh, before, but before we get to that, um, I want to talk about um, there's a situation brewing with the WHL, um, which is the Western Hockey League, and we have teams, uh, we have the Seattle Thunderbirds, we have the Everett Silvertips, we have the Tri-City Americans, and we have the Spokane Chiefs. And this is a minor league hockey league. And uh, it's been around for years, and there's been a labor situation brewing. And you tweeted about this situation a little bit earlier. Can you give us an update of what's going on with this labor situation? Yeah, there was a development on it today in the Washington State Legislature. And to to back up, it's kind of complicated and involves labor law. But uh, there was 
a complaint uh, towards the end of last year uh, to the Department of Labor and Industries that the Western Hockey League teams uh, were violating child labor laws and uh, paying their players less than minimum wage. Uh, as you know, Paul, uh, these are teams, uh, this is a league that's been around uh, Western Washington, uh, Western British Columbia uh, for a, a long time uh, with the four teams in Washington State, and they have always argued uh, that they uh, pay uh, their players in terms of free room and board and uh, college education for every year that they play in the league. These are kids that are uh, 16, 17 years old, a lot of them, that are that are playing in the league. And so uh, when this violation came up, uh, it, it not only came up in, in Washington State, but uh, also in the Canadian Hockey League, uh, which the Western Hockey League is a part of, and there's been a question of uh, how will this impact uh, junior hockey as we know it. Uh, the four Washington teams went to the Washington State Legislature and, and said they need some help in, in adjusting uh, the law to, uh, to as they claim, uh, make these players amateur athletes. They believe uh, that the teams do that these are amateur athletes. Uh, just like uh, uh, potentially NCAA uh, athletes. And uh, at a hearing that I attended uh, last month, they, they threatened to leave the state unless there was a change in the classification of these uh, young athletes, that they would not be able to use 16- and 17-year-olds, that it would change their business model if they were considered employees, uh, and especially if they had to be uh, paid minimum wage on a 40-hour-a-week schedule. Uh, what happened today in the Washington State Senate is the Bill 5893 uh, that would change this uh, exemption uh, for uh, or change the law to basically make these players exempt from employee status passed in the Washington State Senate by a vote of 47 to 0. So that is good news for the Western Hockey League franchises. Uh, the, the story is not over, though, in the Washington State Legislature. That now that bill goes to the Washington State House and then would need the governor's approval uh, before that change is made. But uh, uh, the, that is a, a positive sign if you're a fan of the Western Hockey League uh, in, in Washington State. And really, uh, we'll have to wait and see what it means for the, the, the legal effects, because uh, they are different in Canada as far as uh, what, what happens going forward. Yeah, and I've certainly in the last year become a fan of, of the WHL. I follow the, the Tri-City Americans and attend a few games, and it's a it's a really fun uh, product that they put on the ice. And um, you know, when I when I started hearing about these labor issue, labor issue as a, issues, I was a little bit dismayed because I thought this is just a neat product, and I'm just getting involved with it. And now I'm starting to hear this stuff that may ruin the sport. Um, now, some people would argue that it's wrong for the state legislature to give them this exemption because it maybe it violates the, the spirit of the, the child labor laws. Others may argue that, you know, the WHL is kind of a unique thing in that for each year a person plays in the WHL, they actually get a free year of college tuition in Canada. And they might say, well, that should counteract anything that the labor law would be trying to enact. So what would you say about that? Yeah, I mean it's an interesting argument uh, either way. I mean, I you know some of these kids who play for the Seattle Thunderbirds, they go to uh, Kentwood High School. Uh, a lot of kids, uh, you know, in the Kent School District, and the, you know they're just high school kids. 
uh, that kind of got wrapped up in this debate. Uh, as far as labor and industry is concerned, it was a singular complaint uh, that came into their office, and, and they are still continuing to investigate it. They've consulted with the Attorney General's office. You know, nobody has made the claim that uh, anybody for the Attorney General's office has consulted with Washington State uh, lawmakers, but uh, you, you can see where this process uh, was headed. Uh, some of the lawmakers uh, that have been involved in, in sponsoring the bills, both on the House and, and Senate side, have allegiances to uh, cities like Everett and, and Seattle and Kent. So, um, in, at least in the House hearing that I sat in on, uh, it, it was obvious that uh, some of the lawmakers uh, were in support of the bill right away because they uh, there was one in particular that said, go Tips and uh, uh, go Thunderbirds, go T-Birds. So um, it, it, it's right. obvious that there's some support in the Washington State Legislature. Uh, I, I guess the real question going forward is if, if this is approved by uh, the, the Senate and the House and the governor is, is what it means in Canada, because that's another whole ball of wax uh, uh, and another whole uh, legal system, and it's it's really unclear. There's been, there's been quite a bit more written about it uh, and, and talked about uh, in Canada, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of the long-term effects are here. Right. And I was curious to know, um, when these complaints originated, would you say that they were from current players or former players or relatives of former players? Uh, you how did those complaints originate? Yeah, Paul, it, it's uh, it's a bit unclear. Uh, the the L&I, uh, they keep saying labor and industries, L&I for short, uh, it, it says it was a singular complaint and won't say where it came from. Uh, I know I've heard from some people up in the Toronto area. I know there's a particular player, uh, former player with the Tri-Cities Americans who's now been uh, uh, cited, uh, connected to this case. But I can't tell you definitively who exactly made that formal complaint to L&I. They're just not sharing that information. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, let's leave the WHL behind for the rest of this conversation because we've got more pressing matters for Seattle. Um, you have been uh, spot-on reporting for uh, about the Seattle Arena situation from the very beginning, and in recent weeks we've had some news just begin to explode. We've, we've learned from the commissioner of the NHL that we have t competition, potential competition in Bellevue and Tukwila. Um And, you know, what, what is your impression of these stories coming out of Bellevue and Tukwila? Well, I, you know, it was interesting when the when the commissioner uh, dropped that information into a uh, radio interview up in Vancouver. Uh, that there, he, he likes to use the, the the phrase expressions of interest. Uh, that there have been expressions of interest not only in Seattle but uh, in in Bellevue and Tukwila, and that's kind of what got the whole ball rolling here. Uh, you know, I, I had been told uh, since dating back to December that uh, there had been some work being done uh, in Tukwila, although at the time it had been uh, defined as premature and preliminary. Uh, but it, it's still bubbling uh, below the surface here and. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting that, that the commissioner uh, Bettman dropped that information. It, it, it kind of got uh, uh, more attention on the arena process in Seattle and what exactly is going on there. As you know, Paul, it has uh, just kind of dragged on with the environmental review. Uh, the, the date has moved around and, and been pushed back uh, ever since that that. Memorandum of Understanding on the arena was approved back in 2012, 
believe it or not, here we are uh, <laughs> going on close to three years with that. Uh, and, and what was interesting last week is uh, Seattle Mayor Ed Murray, uh, for the first time, put a date on the calendar when that environmental review will be completed, according to Murray, on May 7th. Uh, that uh, is only now uh, just a little over a couple of months away. Uh, and, and what's interesting is when you start looking at calendars and uh, what people in Vegas have been saying and what the NHL has been saying, I think you can uh, read between the lines here. It's not it's not far-fetched to read between the lines here and, and see that there is a small window right now for the city of Seattle, for Chris Hansen, for Victor Coleman, uh, to potentially get something done to satisfy the NHL, satisfy the environmental review in Seattle, and potentially bring an NHL team uh, to Seattle. We're talking about uh, really a three-month window here. The question is whether uh, all the T's can be crossed and I's can be dotted to make that happen, and, and that's, that's the uh, question nobody really has the answer to. Right. Well, you know, it was encouraging for anyone who's been wanting the arena to happen to finally hear some public official in Seattle utter the words, I am willing to consider an initial first modification. Um, and I, I was interviewing ESPN's Craig Custance last week, and um, when it came out that the mayor was indeed willing to consider it, um, I, I asked him his impressions whether or not uh, he would say that the uh, city council might be the bigger obstacle to, MO, to the MOU change, or might the Chris Hansen group or Victor Coleman be the bigger obstacle to the MOU change? What's your impression in, in that regard? Well, I mean, Ed Murray has now opened the door, uh, well, wide open now uh, to make a change by saying what he said for the first time uh, last week. Uh, and then the, the question becomes, uh, what, would Chris Hansen be open to amending the MOU, and uh, what would that look like? And uh, does Victor Coleman have the money uh, to put into a project? If Victor Coleman was to step forward and say, I will put in X amount of dollars and I will reduce the uh, public contribution and the public risk, uh, that, that's probably an easier sell uh, for Ed Murray and for the Seattle City Council. Uh, if uh, if that number is reduced, it's it's a, a question of numbers. And you know, Chris Hansen has said both publicly and privately that you know he can't be asked by an NHL owner to uh, basically uh, come come be in a, a brand new arena rent free or, or without any sort of uh, risk attached. That. Uh, if somebody wants to come forward and, and, and put some money into it and assume some of the debt and assume some of the risk, there's a different conversation there. And and now that's what uh, I think uh, people are, are waiting on is, is whether that is something that can be done in a short amount of time. Will that happen before an EIS uh, is public uh, or uh, printed and, and, and publicized and presented? Um, you know, we're talking about a couple of months now. We're talking about uh, a little over uh, three months away from an NHL Board of Governors meeting when uh, the Vegas group believes that uh, the NHL will discuss expansion. Uh, so that that's the timeline you're looking on here, uh, looking at here, and uh, whether I, I guess whether it gets completed, uh, money will talk, and and uh, whether a package is put together that satisfies everybody. That's uh, that's what we're waiting to see. 
So it, it seems to me like um, Victor Coleman and his group would have to kick in some extra dollars towards Chris Hansen and also towards the city council. Would that be an accurate way of putting it? Well, I, I think that would be, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's the that's what you're waiting to see right now is uh, is Victor Coleman wait, uh, willing to put some capital uh, into a building, uh, whether that be in Soto or elsewhere, uh, whether he is, uh, it, what that figure would look like and whether it would re- reduce the risk not only for Chris Hansen, but for uh, the city of Seattle and for King County. Uh, if uh, he is able to present something in writing uh, that's signed, that's a legal document uh, that he can present uh, to the council, it's probably a game changer. But uh, at this point, nobody knows uh, whether he's uh, willing to do that yet. So um, right. it's that's the multi-million dollar question here. While uh, you know uh, other potential groups in uh, in Bellevue and, and Tuck will await to see. I mean, the, the thing to keep in mind is that you know we've been through this process now for uh, so long, observing it, reporting on it, watching it. Uh, depending on your perspective, uh, the the group in Seattle is still ahead right now, uh, meaning Chris Hansen. Uh, in getting this project done because they have the land acquired, they have the agreement with the city, they've gone through the permitting process. So they've got, uh, you know, at, at least a year or two head start on any other potential group. And, and I guess the, the question is, uh, if another group enters into the picture with a, another proposal, how that also would change the conversation in Seattle. Right. And I, I, I was also wondering if, if Soto fails to get the NHL first modification, and let's say one of the Tukwila or Bellevue groups, say from Mr. Sperling or Ray Bartizek or Todd Lightwicky, if they're able to secure a team and Seattle does not have an NHL first modification, could they catch up pretty quick? That's a great question, Paul. Uh, you know, that's uh, it's high stakes poker. Um, to to say you have a team uh, is a chip. <laughs> it's that whole uh, what comes first, the arena or the team thing. Uh, you know, the, if a group was to step forward and say uh, they have a team or they've been promised a team or they have a, a letter of intent uh, from the, the Board of Governors, you would think that's a, a pretty heavy chip. Uh, in terms of having the arena, by all accounts, uh, nobody else has the land to do it yet uh, in either of these uh, other cities. If a group was to step forward and say, you know, we have a concrete arena plan that will be uh, privately financed, that that's also going to change the tenor of the conversation in Seattle. I mean, let's not forget uh, the city of Seattle has a lot riding on the future of Seattle Center and Key Arena, whether a new arena is built there or not. Uh, any sort of competing venue in the market uh, in, a, in another city will, uh, if Seattle is not a uh, a partner in the uh, situation, it's going to make it make life tough for Key Arena and for Seattle Center. So Seattle has a vested interest to be a partner uh, in all of this. So if another group was to step forward uh, in one of those other two cities in particular, it could potentially put some pressure on the city of Seattle as well. Right. Um, and, you know, I've heard some, uh, you know, one of the things in the timeline that the mayor put out last week was it looks like if everything goes according to plan, we'll get the master use permit. Some, sometime early next year. Some people think that the leagues would wait until we get that master use permit before they didn't even consider anything. Some people think that the FEIS completed would be enough for them to proceed. For example, the, the NHL. Do you think the completed FEIS would be enough for, say, the NHL to proceed? 
Here's, I would answer that uh, question a couple of ways. I, I think you can look uh, even at uh, cities, and I know this is a sore subject for, for some of the folks who, who read your website and are listening to you, but you can look at the city of Sacramento and see uh, where they were in the arena process and what steps they needed to satisfy to get the NBA to uh, deny Chris Hansen and uh, allow the, the, the franchise to stay there in Sacramento. They, they did not have all the uh, steps uh, accomplished there in Sacramento. Uh, granted, they were the incumbent in that situation. Situation, but uh, uh, the the arena was not completely signed off on, uh, and in Seattle, in Seattle's case, everything I've heard from the mayor's office, from the council, from uh, the folks associated with Chris Hansen, uh, to the NBA, to the NHL, is that the EIS uh, and the final EIS has been the key document that they've been looking at uh, and, and waiting on uh, to advance this project, and and so that's why it's so key in this situation. There. Uh, a couple of other things that uh, are, are lingering as well with the the design review and also the street vacation. Uh, those have been viewed uh, by all the stakeholders as minor in comparison to the EIS. And so if the EIS gets accomplished uh, and finalized and there's, there's no red flags, uh, that is a, a key piece that uh, – uh, the, the stakeholders, the people who want to have this arena would take to the uh, the NHL and to uh, a lesser extent the NBA. As far as uh, a master use permit is concerned, uh, while that may not come until 2016, uh, it, it all depends on, on if there is an amendment to the MOU and uh, if uh, construction could proceed. I mean, that's that's why you would need a master use permit uh, in, in order to, to, to break ground on a new arena. So uh, that's why that is uh, not as important, uh, at least by the people uh, who have followed this so closely. That That's why that master use permit is not as viewed as important uh, as the EIS and the timeline of uh, potentially building an arena here. So, uh, yeah, right. there are a few steps, but uh, the, the EIS has been viewed as, as the heavy and the biggest uh, roadblock to overcome. Okay. Chris, you've been great, but I have one more question before I let you go. Um, I've heard that in recent weeks the state legislature has been uh, giving some consideration to, toward a project to get a Lander Street overpass built in Seattle, which it seems like has been a key reason for resistance from the port and the longshoremen. And I was wondering if you'd heard anything about that and what kind of effect you think that might have. Yeah, uh, Paul, I'm glad you asked. The, the Lander Street overpass, uh, in, in all my coverage of this, uh, has been a sticking point with uh, the Port of Seattle and the maritime and industrial communities down in Soto. Uh, they believe that they have been promised this overpass for more than a decade and, and that the, the lawmakers uh, have, have never followed through that that is a, a key overpass for port traffic and for the uh, long-term stability of the port. Uh, and that has been uh, something brought up in, in multiple conversations uh, over time about this uh, arena proposal. Uh, Ed Murray uh, not only uh, brought it up uh, that, that he'd been negotiating with um, with, with lawmakers down in Olympia, but in his uh, presentation uh, yesterday, or, or yeah, it was yesterday on uh, on Monday, uh, for his Move Seattle initiative, uh, he listed the Lander Street overpass as one of the projects that he would like to uh, fund in, in the form of a new uh, uh, ballot measure uh, for transportation funding. One of uh, uh, more than a couple of handfuls uh, of projects, but he he put a price tag on that. Uh, the initial work being 100 to 200 
million. Uh, there's a question of how much money they're going to potentially get from Olympia. It sounds like, uh, uh, at least in the current uh, state of affairs, the Senate bill that uh, was approved, there's only $5 million there. And in, in Murray's uh, paperwork on this yesterday, there was a suggestion there'd need to be some sort of federal money or grant money involved in it. So it, it's a bit more complex, but it sounds like Murray has quietly been working on this. Uh, he would point out that he's been working on it for a, a decade uh, since his days down in Olympia. But uh, if if you're able to come up with, uh, and, and I don't think anybody uh, can put a, a timeline on, on when you'd be able to put something like that together, but if, if you had a concrete proposal and funding mechanism for that at the same time that you're trying to get a master use permit and an environmental review done, uh, then that would satisfy a lot of the critics, likely, if you if you had that project put together for a Lander Street overpass. But that that seems like a tall order to put together in uh, just a few months' time. It, it, concurrently, at the same time, the arena process is playing out. Right. Well, Chris Daniels of King Five News, you've been great, and I hope we can do this again sometime. And I want to thank you for your time today. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for your kind words. I do appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Chris. Okay. That was Chris Daniels of King 5 News, and he had a ton of things to say. And Otto, what did you think of that conversation? Well, so, the, you know, I like how you broke broke, broke down the two different pieces, the, the big news today with the WHL. Um, yeah, the WHL... Those four communities are very important to the, – those four teams are very important to those communities. I can I can completely see why the state the state legislature, legislature um, why they kind of support this measure. Um, if you lose those teams to other outside to outside the state of Washington, you're you know you're risking harming four communities with 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 lots of jobs and economic revenue that those teams bring in. So. So on the WHL front, that's great news. Great news to have uh, to make sure, uh, at least in this early stages, to make sure that we we keep kind of that um, that level of hockey here. I think I think it's good for good for the youth and good for um, you know good for good for our economy in those locations. On the arena news, uh, I, th- I think everything that Chris Chris is saying it makes sense. The 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 time window. <clears throat> You know the time window that we have uh, with with you know between now and when the board of governors meet in in June. How much can we do? How much can we kind of work around the whole uh, NHL first uh, MOU and and then also once that F, uh, the the final EIS gets complete or uh, presented uh, to the council on May seventh, I think I think there's a there's a there's going to have to be a quick turnaround. To uh, to satisfy New York and uh, Gary Bettman and Daly to make a decision if they want to give us a, a letter letter of understanding to see if there's a possibility to get a, uh, expansion here. So those are my initial right. thoughts on, on Chris's uh, you know what he said today. Right. Um, well, back to the WHL for a second. You have followed hockey longer than I have. I mean, as I told Chris, I I started following the Tri-City Americans just this year. 
I mean, I, I didn't really start following hockey until the uh, until the Stanley Cup playoffs last year, and I got kind of hooked on it. Um, and this year, I decided I wanted to follow the, the WHL. So I'm, I live close to the Tri Cities, and I've been to a few Americans games. But you, you've been—I I guess you're a fan of the T-Birds, right? And um, yeah, yeah. with let, let's assume for a minute that the state legislature, legislature passes this exemption and exempts them from this child labor law and and basically what it what the law would do is say uh these people are not employees they are uh athletes for lack of a better word um but as a as a longer term fan of the WHL than, than I am with this legislation are there any adjustments that the WHL should make for these players yeah i th- i i definitely think the uh the WHL through the CHL which the WHL is a part of which mainly hockey league um they could definitely start, you know, there are some rules around the around the education <clears throat> package, such as uh, you have to use it with, within a certain amount of time of uh, when you leave the WHL. I, that's one of the that's one of the rules. I I hope they could maybe kind of you know finagle a little bit to give a little more flexibility on that to have a little more of an open uh, open time frame of when you can use that education package. And also, and also maybe increase the stipend that the players get. I know they get a lot of good benefits, you know, lodging and, you know, food and lodging and things like that, equipment, things like that from the team, from their host families. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think to, you know, kind of smooth over, smooth over concerns by, on a legal sense in regards to, like, they're not making enough, you know, they're not having enough stipends. Uh, perhaps we can increase increase the the monthly stipend or the weekly stipend to the kids. But um, but this is a you know this is a great first start and and you know this is this from you know changing the classification of of what their what their job classification job, job status is. I'm not sure how that if would impact the legality if there's a class action lawsuit that comes out of this, which I, I'm hearing is a possibility. Uh, but this is definitely a good step, at least from uh, the state side, to to help keep the the WHL in, in, in Washington. And, and perhaps there's going to be an impact on other states. I believe there's a couple others. Oregon has the Portland Winterhawks. I believe Michigan and New York have a couple of uh, Canadian Hockey League teams also impacted. So I'm wondering um, what kind of impact the the Washington uh, ruling from this. Uh, from our state legislature uh, would have on other states, including Oregon and Michigan. Yeah. All right, and and you touched on this, and I think I might have uh, mis zoned out while you were seeing it for a second. But you, there are for, basically for each year you play in the WHL, you're supposed to get a year of free tuition in a free college tuition at Canadian colleges. And you're saying there are some kind of limits in place for that. Can you? Go into a little bit of detail about what kind of limits there are. I, I believe the last time I looked at at the at the rules, uh, I believe there was, and I could be completely off base, but uh, there is a rule on a, uh, if you if you don't use it, you lose it. So when you leave the WHL, if you don't use that education stipend within a certain amount of time, then then it's gone. oh. So, so if they if they wind up in the NHL. Um, they could easily lose it. Right. Um, so, they, and, and, 
Right. Oh, well, if you end up right up in the NHL, then, you know, but, like, you know, like, you can wind up in the NHL and then kind of get stuck down in, like, their, their minor, the minor league, the NHL minor league system, which is the AHL, and, you know, kind of, like, right. take care for years and then get eventually kind of wash out. And then you won't have. So what that. you're saying, you so what you're saying is, what you're saying is maybe increase the amount of years they have to use the benefit. Yeah, or just that, or, or just don't. Yeah, or don't just have no have no like time limit. You know, you know, it's like right. make it like a G, I believe a GI bill. You know, there's not like a time limit of when you can use your uh, your you know your education stipend. So I would say remove right. the cap. Or make it a lot like a much longer cap, at least maybe five years. That way, you know, um, if you don't make him NHL, you still have that education opportunity to go back and and you know uh, finish school or go to technical school or whatever <clears throat> what kind of uh, education that you would want. Right. Well, that does seem like it would be a common sense approach, and I hope they at least consider that. And it sounds like it's more than just Washington State. It sounds like it's league wide and including all the way through Canada from what Mr. Daniels was saying. Um, so we talked a little bit earlier before uh, Chris called in, and we were talking about uh, your history as a fan and how you're a Red Wings fan. Uh, how do you feel about the Thunderbirds in the WHL? You know, this year they're, you know, for what I, I, I've seen several games this year, and, um, you know, the U.S. division in the, in the Western uh, WHL, U.S. Division is tough. Uh, Everett is really strong. Portland is strong. Tri-Cities is really tough. Tri-Cities is tough. Spokane is tough. Um, the T-Birds are playing. They're playing. They're playing pretty good. They're, they've been on a small uh, losing streak the last three or four games. Sometimes, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Sometimes they can do do really well. You know, really control the puck and and you know just have really good passing. Really, you know, not being lazy on the defense. And other times, sometimes. You know, we make silly mistakes. We kind of give up the puck sometimes on our own end, leading to easy goals on the other end. Um, they, you know, they're a talented team. There's a lot of talent there. Uh, the talent, and, and there will continue to be a lot of talent next year, even though I expect Barzell to, you know, be a, be a lottery pick, a top-10 pick. I expect that, um, that he's not going to make the NHL, and they're going to send him back to – uh, the WHL to to kind of you know gain gain more playing time and uh, gain more strength because um, he's 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 going to be 16 when he gets drafted. So yeah, you know I but, I think but, I've been to yeah I think I've been to three or four uh, Americans games in Tri Cities this year and they've looked pretty competitive in just about everyone except one game. I I went to see them when they hosted Kelowna. And uh, Kelowna just looks like men among boys on that ice. I mean, when, when Tri-City right. would bring the ball up between the blue lines, there would be a defender instantly in their face, and they just couldn't get any offensive flow. Uh, Kelowna seems to be the team to beat in the WHL, doesn't it? Yeah, but no, the Rockets, I mean, they, they're, they're, they're definitely one of the top teams um, in the WHL, and, and I would think they would have to be the favorite to, to win the Memorial Cup. Um, you know, which is which is a kind of a competition between the different champions of the different. Uh, there's three different leagues that all kind of feed into the, the Canadian Hockey League, um, and at the end, uh, they take all the all the champions, and then they have this kind of little round robin tournament to kind of like 
declared like the, the CHL champion. And the Rockets, they're definitely a powerhouse. They, they, you know, when you talk about, uh, you know, some programs, um, you know, they just reload. That that is the Rockets. They they continuously, you know, they have a really good. Uh, you know, scouting scouting group where they can bring in. You know, they don't have the best draft uh, draft ranking, so they're able to make some really good find some really good kids, and they have a really good system in place. And and they're always uh, very difficult to play. But just recently, just recently, the Thunderbird beat the Rockets in in. Um, I can't even say that word, but I'm sorry. Uh, but they they just beat recently beat the Rockets on the road. Um, which is one of the frustrating things about this T-Bird team. They, they will beat Everett. They will beat, they will beat the Rockets, um, but then they will lose to maybe a team that they shouldn't be losing to. So, um, you know, I, I hope, I hope the T-Birds kind of, you know, really start to kind of gel together at the end and get ready for the final push into, into the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I've really enjoyed um, going to the WHL games. They're really actually entertaining. I really encourage people to check them out. Uh, Everett's got a good fan environment. I, I went to a tournament, a preseason tournament in Everett, and a uh, really nice place to watch a game. Tri-City is a nice place to watch a game. I haven't watched – I haven't been to the Seattle Arena or Can Arena, but I've been told they're great environments as well, and I, I really encourage people to check them out. But back to the NHL uh, to close this thing out this evening – um, when I first started talking to you about hockey, what was it last fall? Um, I, I had decided to follow the NHL this year, but I didn't really have a team to root for. And That's so right. I kind of decided, I kind of decided that I was going to fall, pick a, a team or maybe two teams to follow. Uh, one of the teams I chose was the, uh, the Minnesota wild who, uh, had some good success in the playoffs uh, last year. Yeah. And, and, and no one really gave me any grief over that one, but, when I told people that I was choosing the Edmonton Oilers to follow, everyone made fun of me. And you know, we're almost we're a little more than halfway through the season, and I'm starting to to realize why they stink. Yeah, the, <laughs> is that Oilers, is that an accurate assessment? Oh yeah, the I mean, the, the Oilers, what happened to them? You know, you know it's 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 it, it was front front office. I think I think front off, the Edmonton front office uh, they were making a lot of decisions that weren't um, you know a lot of cronyism kind of thing, decisions. Um, they were putting people uh, in place in the front office that maybe weren't a pro, weren't the right people. You know, just just talking to some Edmonton fans. You know, they're just like you know move to Seattle. We don't care. We we want a new team. You know, we want a new team. You know, Edmonton they've had a lot of talent, uh, but they've 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 kind of. Uh, squirreled that talent away. They, you know, they, they've had really good, really good, you know, really high placement in the draft, and you know, but they they, they haven't taken advantage of that. Um, and but they're looking like they might be ahead of uh, an Connor McDavid sweepstakes this year. So there's a couple teams that are. Um, I don't want to say they're tanking necessarily. I mean, I think they're still playing hard, but they're definitely um, everyone's aiming for the number one. Uh, number one draft pick this year in, in, in 2015, but and who and who is that? Point, who is it that they're targeting? Who are they targeting with that, that pick? That would be who that are they targeting Conor with that McDavid. pick? That that would be Connor, Connor McDavid. McDavid. Yeah, he Tell me about him. For, uh, yeah, he plays for Erie. This guy, I mean, uh, just watching video and watching clips of him, I mean, he he plays. He's like a man, a man amongst boys. That's I guess that's the really 
the the only way I can really describe it. He has amazing, amazing vision. His 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 playmaking ability is exceptional. If I would have to compare him to in regards to height and skill set uh, at his level, I, w- I would have to compare him to uh, uh, Sidney Crosby from the Pittsburgh okay. Penguins. And Sidney, if if you haven't watched Sidney Crosby, this he, he's you know every it's like a once in a generational kind of player. You know, you have Mario Lemieux, and then you had, and then uh, and then and then now you have uh, uh, Sidney Crosby. They, they they do so many things well, and um, there's no real deficit in his game, and, and that's kind of where Connor McDavid's at. He he his his you know his ability to score goals is just yeah. on a unprecedented pace uh, for him. But and and who did you say he plays for? He plays. Who did you say he plays for? Erie. Erie. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, for Erie. Um, and um, so. so th- this draft, honestly, though, it's it's one of those drafts where, you know, it's it's so so heavy up front. It, you know, in the top of the lottery is, you know, any any of these guys in the top five, six, seven guys, um, in most other years they'll go like one or two. But because this draft is so heavy and so talented that you're having you're getting, you know, first line kind of like future pro NHL pros, you know, sliding down to four, five, six. So and and nice. Matthew Barzell, nice. Matthew Barzell, he's projected to you know be anywhere from you know seven to twelve, and in most years he'd probably be a top three pick. So this this is a really really quality draft, you know. And so you know some people you know they're 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 making fun on Twitter saying like Seattle's gonna be drafting Connor McDavid. Well, they're kind of you know making fun that Arizona you know, it could be drafting Connor and McDavid and then, you know, in maybe a couple of years, you know, Arizona, if they're still having issues, um, would, would, you know, would possibly relocate to Seattle, which would be fun. All right. Now, now talk about, talk about Arizona. You and I have privately, privately about this. And, uh, yeah. of course we now know from multiple reports, we've heard it from Chris Daniels. We've heard it from, uh, Jeff Baker that, on the night that Glendale voted to keep to keep that team and and succeeded by one vote, uh, I believe it was Ray Bartizek was trying to buy the team and move to Seattle. He actually had moving vans ready to go yeah. the next day, so we'd narrowly miss on getting the Arizona Coyotes. And you know, it's right. still kind of a mess. It's kind of, it's kind of a mess politically and financially down there. And you know, it, it does seem like if expansion is not offered. Uh, within a couple of years that uh, the Coyotes could come into play again down the road uh, if things blow up down there. And you were saying that Arizona is, as as a team, is positioning itself to be really good in a few years. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, what Arizona did uh, just last few days with the trade deadline, they, they, they got rid of uh, some high-salary uh, players. And, and, and set themselves up for the future. They they traded uh, one of their players um, to Chicago Blackhawks for a first round pick, and they traded uh, uh, a really really good uh, defensive uh, defensive player, uh, Keith Yandel, to the Rangers for a prospect by the name of uh, Duclair, I believe. And, uh, and and you know he's he's like a top twenty prospect. Uh, he's really young, really good scorer, and then they also have a, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Max Domi, who is Ty Domi's uh, uh, kid. And 
those two played on the same line together at the World Junior Championships. And, you know, really uh, Arizona is just setting themselves up. They have a really, really good uh, defensive man uh, by the name of um, Ekman Larson. Uh, he's 23. He's a really, really good uh, uh, defensive man. And, you know, with uh, they got Domi coming in and now Duclair and whoever they're going to get, you know, either they're going to get a Jack Jack Eichel or, or Eichel, sorry, um, or Connor McDavid, um, they're setting themselves up for kind of have that kind of that run where, you know, they might have a couple of years where it's not going very well, but in three or four years, they're setting themselves up to have a really, really strong team. So if, if it happened that way where, you know, it, you know, I don't, I, I never want to see a team leave, you know, a community, but if they had to leave, I would not be hurt if they if they left for Seattle. Yeah, and you know, on that note, you know, a lot of people, you know, we have it seems like we periodically have this debate: do we prefer expansion or do we prefer relocation? And it's the same debate with the NBA. I mean, we we who have lost the Sonics would, I mean, if you ask, if you did a poll, you'd probably get ninety five percent of us saying that we prefer expansion because we would prefer not to put another fan base through this. What we've learned in the last yeah. several years is it it really doesn't matter what we want. Um, right, it doesn't. We're gonna we're gonna get what one of the leagues allows, and we really yeah. have no control over that. Yeah, and and, 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 and you know, I, you know my you know my my thought about with with expansion and with um with when when Craig Custance you had Craig Custance on last week, and he um, he talked to the GM for the Seattle Thunderbirds. And he said, this is not, a, you know, this is not a, a town where you can bring in a hockey team and just let it go and expect to just start printing off money, that you need to work at it. And my one, my one fear is Seattle, you know, we're a winning team. We love winners. We, we will, if you win, we will support you. And my fear is that I am not sure how large of a honeymoon a new expansion team would have coming in before, you know, before things start to kind of go south. So if I had a yeah. first, like, option of, like, do you want a team that's competitive, kind of has everything set up, or you want an expansion team, I would want the competitive team because I think, I really think that hockey will do well here. Um, I'm just not sold on how big the honeymoon period is. Right. What I guess we get? just have to hope that whoever is, bringing an expansion team would just be really good at running one. Uh, I, I know that Todd Lightwicky has been mentioned as a possibility yeah. with one of the other groups, maybe with Ray Bartizek or some, one of those groups, if, and that would probably be Tuckwill if that happens. But I, I think someone like him, I mean, uh, he helped turn the Seahawks around. Um, mm-hmm. He helped turn the Sounders into a winning entity. Uh, and you, right. you just, I think, the, I think the Tampa Bay Rays are doing well under him now, and he, it just seems like he's a winner. Yeah, Tampa Bay. Uh, I mean, there you want to look at you want to look at success. Look at Tampa Bay. I mean, they're I think either they're either leading or they're second behind Montreal and the East. I mean, and they're playing, you know, they're playing playing outstanding right now. So um, he also Todd Lewicki, he also was is involved with creating. Uh, kind of a, like an entertainment district in downtown Tampa Bay around the arena, and so you know, you know, 
you know, based on like Jeff Baker's reports about how Davy kind of wants to turn his land into like a like an entertainment district with the with maybe arena being a piece of that. You know, I think I think that's kind of interesting to look at is Laiwiki's kind of um, you know his hand in developing uh, an entertainment district in Tampa Bay. Right. Right. Well, um, Otto, I want to thank you for uh, helping me to craft this uh, this thing we're trying to build in the Seattle Sinbin podcast. This is uh, episode two, and uh, I, th- I think it went pretty well again, and I want to thank you for coming on with me. And we're going to try and bring on awesome guests every week. I can't guarantee that. Uh, but this was fun. Uh, what do you say we do yeah. it again next week? Yeah, you know what? I thank you for this is my this is my first you know my first time. So you know, as I kind of like kind of figure out like how to how to do the punch and jab and you know the back and forth. You know, I'll be I'll be a lot more uh, uh, not as you know you know. Yeah. I think you did. I think you did just fine. What I have to learn is which phone number not to mute. <laughs> when when I was trans when I was transferring between you and Daniels when he first called in, um, I was muting you and unmuting him. But in reality, I was muting myself and unmuting him. So I'm talking and nobody can hear me. So uh, that's something that I'm going to have to figure out as well. So you know, I, for the second episode though, I think I think it went pretty well. And I think we're only getting better. And, you know, we've got some some fun things planned. I've I've got uh, Steve Stearns of Sonic Rising working on some clever intros and some nice bumper music that will make this thing flow a little better. But it's fun, and I'm glad you joined me tonight, and and I hope we can do it again next week. You know what? Thank you so so much for giving me the opportunity. I had a blast, and I'm, you know, definitely looking forward to see where this goes. All right. Thank you, Otto Rogers, and uh, I'll talk to you off the air. I'm sure. And for okay. everyone else, I want to thank uh, for everyone else. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Seattle Sinbin Podcast, Episode Two. I want to thank King Five Reporter Chris Daniels for hopping on earlier. And everyone, have a great day. Yeah, I want to drive the I do.